This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. When we talk about this with our members, it is so dynamic to what market and region, city, even the neighborhood that you're in sometimes. Because when we're shifting these big cases with large incision sites and big implants and devices that we need to use into smaller sites of care like an ASC, so much of it can even just depend on the physician's preference. Hello and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Tori Ritchie, and today I am joined by Donnell Jagman, our orthopedics and spine service line expert. Donnell, it's great to have you here today. Thanks, Tori. Excited to be here. So a lot that we can cover in the orthopedics landscape. I feel like it is ever-changing and evolving. The one topic that immediately jumps to mind is all of the activity that we've seen from private equity as of late. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what does private equity movement continue to look like in the orthopedic space and how do you recommend our healthcare providers combat some of this disruption? One of the most important areas where we're seeing private equity make a difference is actually in the ownership of ASCs. As the outpatient shift actually matures and goes into the ASC sites, the impact of private equity ownership in those sites is going to just spread across the entire continuum of care for orthopedics. We have seen a big jump in physician corporate owners of ASCs across all ASC types, but that's gone from about 6% to 13% of the total different ownership types over just two years. And we've seen a decrease in physician-only owners. You're losing a little bit of decision-making when you are sharing that ownership with corporate entities and our health systems are getting pushed out of that space as well. It's making it harder for health systems to have an ambulatory strategy and react to the clinical and payer pressures to move cases, especially total joint cases, into ASC sites. Do you have any idea why it's been difficult for health systems to really maintain control here? Is it a lack of capital that they're able to go out and invest in building these de novo centers? Is it not perhaps moving as nimbly as some of the PE entities? What's going on there? I definitely think the capital is a big issue, but there were some health systems that pulled the trigger early on ambulatory care strategies, and they own dozens of them across the country or across their regions. Others were in a more of a waiting game situation to see who was going to pop up in that space. But another thing that is really impacting ASC builds, especially de novo builds, are certificate of need regulations. And we're actually seeing a few states are adjusting those provisions for ASCs like North Carolina. Within two years, North Carolina is going to remove the provision that regulates ASCs in their CON law. And we expect to see a lot of investment from private ortho groups or PE groups in that space. And the health systems have to pay attention to that. They should also be ready to make investments in ASCs or sure up those physician partnerships. That's the other area that health systems have been a little bit more cautious and risk adverse is doing full financial ownership sharing with physician groups in ASCs because it just seems a little sticky from a regulatory and legal perspective. 
That's so true. And I'm thinking too, it's almost becomes a camp of, okay, what can these health system providers control versus what can't they control? Certainly some of the policy aspects very far out of the sphere of influence necessarily of those hospitals and health systems. But when we think about defensive strategies, more of what is in control of those traditional provider groups, what do you recommend they think through as they try to retain their market share and prevent leakage here? I've had a lot of conversations recently about physical therapy. There are a lot of approaches to this that health systems take, whether they completely own and manage their own physical therapy locations and the staff involved in that. There are national partnership options available, and we're seeing more of a regional or community partnership focus pop up too. But where that can get difficult and where we really need to push health system members to concentrate is not the referral to the physical therapist from your orthopod or from your orthopedics program or your sports medicine program, but it's actually a different referral pattern now. Because we're seeing physical therapists being used as triage staff where they're kind of deciding where the patient goes next, your primary care doctor is sending their patient to the physical therapist. Oh, my knee hurts. They're getting that referral to PT from their primary care doctor. And then we're seeing this opportunity for a missed referral when the PT doesn't see increased results or they're not liking the outcomes of the therapy. And then they're the ones that are saying, oh, you should go to this orthopedist. So if you don't have that referral pattern locked down and have established referrals to go from your PT or your partner PT back into your orthopedist program, that's where you might start losing some of those patients. But it could be a great opportunity there too. Yeah, so sounds like some channel management strategies might need to be put in place here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Maybe we, we shift a bit to talk about side of care shifts. Sure popular topic. Hot topic. And one that we've been talking about for a couple of years. We've seen those orthopedic procedures shift from that inpatient setting, moving outpatient. I have to imagine that when we think about the vast majority of those ortho procedures, we have to be reaching a floor on what we could possibly take out of that inpatient care setting. We definitely think so. Although there is still room, especially nationally, to see more of the hips and knees and shoulders happen on an outpatient basis. And now what the discussion is, is not hospital outpatient department, but true ambulatory surgery center. And there definitely will be a ceiling of what can happen in an ASC. But from a HOPD perspective with a 23-hour discharge, the sky might be the limit. They're really pushing. Some of our health system members are already in the 90 percentiles for outpatient billing discharges for total hips and knees, and it's reaching that in shoulder too. Maybe we'll see a little bit of regression as CMS starts to measure hospital visit ratios for those HOPD procedural patients which they started doing last year, we might see a little bit of backsliding on how many patients get HOPD discharges, but we are still going to see some of those HOPD shift to the ASC site instead. Nice. And I have to imagine that that ASC shift, highly variable by market, particularly because some of those policy regulations that are currently in place. Absolutely. And when we talk about this with our members, it is so dynamic to what market and region, city, even 
the neighborhood that you're in sometimes. Because when we're shifting these big cases with large incision sites and big implants and devices that we need to use into smaller sites of care like an ASC, so much of it can even just depend on the physician's preference. It might not even be a regulatory or a payer issue or real estate or just the availability of the room. It might just be where your physician wants to do the case. Have you figured out any frameworks that can help health systems work through that question of, okay, what is really possible to shift here? And then how do I either get folks on board with my ambulatory strategy or where do I need to pivot? There are a lot of well-established clinical guidelines for which patients are appropriate for these settings. And by the day, they are pushing and expanding those. Places like the American Academy of Orthopedics are great places to find clinical guidelines on which patients are eligible to shift. And it's also up to the payer contracting that you have in your market. But one less stringent framework and less definable, more of the art than the science part, is your physician champion. You will not be successful in moving these cases to your ASC or to the ASC that you're partnering with unless you have the physicians on board, you're engaging them in the trays that you're using in the room setup. We're hearing lots of different options for room setups, not just flip rooms and ASCs now, and also retrofitting those rooms or changing the layout in the smaller existing ASCs. Involve your doctors in that if you don't have another option to give them. It wouldn't be a podcast with one of our service line experts without talking about the forecast. I want to press you there. When we think about what is that mid to long term outlook look like for orthopedics, what do you see on the horizon? Are there any interesting developments that you think folks really need to be on the lookout for? One that's already very evident and will continue in our forecast are the shoulder replacements. We have a very high projection for shoulder replacements in our 10-year forecast. It's 91% growth in inpatient, outpatient shoulders. And those are both our musculoskeletal injury shoulders and our primary shoulder replacements because we're seeing a different approach to shoulder replacements now. A few years ago, whenever someone had a rotator cuff injury, they were just getting a rotator cuff repair. And now because of how improved the outcomes are for total shoulder replacements, they're so good. People have like a better range of motion. They're really satisfied. The healing is very quick. There's great recovery. Instead of getting those rotator cuff repairs, they're going straight to a shoulder replacement. And that is really impacting our forecast. And I think folks should continue to pay attention in that space as we continue to see racquetball sports become more and more popular with our older population. We'll see even more of these sprain strains, rotator cuff injuries, and similar injuries come in, and we'll have to address those. So you're telling me my pickleball habit might end up sending me to PT? Your pickleball habit will be fine as long as you keep yourself limber. And pickleball and other racket sports are shown to be so beneficial to communities because they're a social sport. But we need to make sure that our parents and our grandparents, our older community members are warmed up. They're ready to go. They're not falling and tripping or getting smacked in the eye with the pickleball itself. There is a projection that pickleball injuries will cost hundreds of millions of dollars per year. And that's something we're seeing reflected in our emergency department visits for this type of population and our standard imaging x-ray and ultrasound volumes as well. 
What I'm hearing, though, is if there are any organizations out there trying to figure out where to put their next PT clinic or ASC, close proximity to a racket sport court is perhaps a good idea. Definitely. Or just those over 55 communities, anywhere near there. And you know, we're also seeing PT offices pop up near like salad places. There's one about a mile from my house. There's a coffee shop, a physical therapist, and a lunch salad place where you make your own salad. And then there's like an athleta where you could buy your outfit for the day too. Those retail locations, there's no shortage of them. Love it. It's almost like a new take on a healthy living community. Just have everything in a one-stop shop. (laughs) It is. It is. We got to work on the parking though. That's funny. All right. What about robotics? I feel like there's quite a bit of buzz in the robotic space as it pertains to ortho. There is. And this isn't a new story, right? Robotics and orthopedics has long been a popular topic. We have major players in this space that dominate the robotics market. But as we venture into these ASCs, I'm very interested to see how this plays out with robotics. Are we going to see a dip in robotics penetration with total joint replacements because more procedures are moving to ASCs? We have some hypotheses about this. We're continually monitoring this. Right now, we're working on a bit of a robotics analysis with our clinical database to look at penetration on a quarterly basis across different physicians and hospital types. But for all that we talk about robotics and orthopedics, our preliminary data shows less than 20% of total knees are done robotically. We spend a lot of time and energy investing in robotics, and it's not as frequently done as you might think. Now, there are fellowship programs and big orthopedic practices that do 70% of their knees robotically. We have to compare and contrast that with entire medical systems and health systems that don't have a robotic-assisted device at all. Well, and I'd be curious too, do you track any data that provides information on quality? Is the quality of a robotic surgery comparable or better than using a a traditional care pathway? There are probably hundreds of peer-reviewed journal articles that show no improvements in outcomes, but they do show increase in cost per case and room time. Some of them might show that there's an increase in patient satisfaction, but we often see that those might be biased by the patients having asked specifically for a robotic procedure compared to a patient who might have been neutral about whether their hip or knee replacement was done manually or robotically. And there has also been a study that shows that a bunch of the studies that do show improvements and outcomes may have included biased physicians or biased programs. We have to be really careful in that space. And part of our analysis will be looking at outcomes so that we have from all of our clinical database how our robotic assisted total knee replacements measure up against the manual ones. That sounds like a really interesting analysis, and I cannot wait to see the outcome of it. As we think about the shift to the ASC, just given the lower reimbursement rates that physicians will see and organizations will see from that, if robotics are ultimately costing more money and outcomes are the same, if not really any better, could be an easy way to just drive a little bit of efficiency within that side of care. Absolutely. The device companies are ready to respond to this. In the next year or two, we will see different types of robotic-assisted devices on the market and more readily available, whether it is augmented reality or more of a handheld device that helps with some of the more physical parts of total joint replacements or just 
devices with smaller footprints. I do think the device companies will respond to the shift to ASCs. Donnell, that's a great look behind the curtain as to where the ortho landscape is headed. Always fun to hear about new machines and devices that might come out to really drive innovation and push the industry forward. So looking forward to learning more about that as more information from those device companies does come out. This has been a wonderful conversation today. I cannot thank you enough for joining me. For listeners, if you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did, highly encourage you to make sure that you're signed up for the SG2 strategic strategic focus on orthopedics newsletter. It is a quarterly newsletter that comes straight to your inbox. The Q3 and Q4 iterations will hit in September and December, respectively. The way that you can sign up for that is by going to the SG2 Preference Email Center and sign up for this newsletter under SG2 Member Newsletters. Donnell, wonderful to have you. Cannot wait to have you back on another podcast soon and look forward to speaking with you all soon. Thanks, Tori. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.